Hey, so uh, I'm, I'm sorry if you came here expecting a different shack. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that tall and I'm not that rich. Uh, in fact, I will be taking a love offering after this, if you have it. Anything helps. It goes to feed uh, poor student pastors like myself. Um, all right, so before we get started, how many of us are in student ministry? Okay, look at that. Uh, all right, uh, who's been in student ministry for at least five years? 10 years? 15? 20? 25? Oh my gosh, 30. Okay, how long have you been in student ministry? Thirty-eight years. So let's just go ahead and trade seats, right? Uh, look, I want to. I want to say this just right off the top. Uh, I'm not going to sit down. I can't sit down. Um, right off the top, look, I am not coming to this conference at all as an expert. I have only been in student ministry for five years. Uh, I'm into my sixth year right now. Uh, I have gotten to learn from some great people and I'm currently working at Biltmore Church. So I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee at, uh, at Brainerd Baptist Church. I was working under Micah Freeze. Um, I, I experienced a lot of hurt at that church, but I will tell you guys, and what we're going to talk about today is the thing that I believe saved that ministry and it wasn't Shaq, like it wasn't me. Um, and so what we're going to do, this is kind of what I'm hoping this breakout is going to look like for the first 30 minutes of this breakout, I'm going to talk. Might only be 20 minutes. And then for the last bit of the breakout, what I want us to do is I want us to have a conversation. Um, so I think one of the best ways for us to learn is not for us to hear from one voice, but for us to hear from each other. We got 38 years right here. We got over 20 years right here. We got 20 years around the room, 15 years, 10 years. How many of you guys, this is your first year in student ministry? First year in student ministry. Um, good luck. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the most fulfilling things that you'll ever do, but it's also one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys just real quick uh, one of my philosophy things on student ministry. Look, I do not believe student ministry is a stepping stone. I'm aware that there are a lot of churches that treat student ministry like a stepping stone, and that is to the detriment of their students. It is absolutely to the detriment of your students. Listen to me. If you are at a church, like I know I'm only 29 years old. I'm young. I've not been in ministry for long, but I have seen, I have seen the psychological, uh, the, the emotional hurt and pain, the spiritual hurt that comes from student pastors being in and out. My first church, um, the last senior class that I graduated, they had four different student pastors. The senior class before them had six. The senior class before them had seven. And it, it only gets worse. I was at that church for four and a half years four and a half years, and in the 93, 94 year history of that church, I was the longest standing student pastor. When I went to counseling, um, and I talked to my counselor about me and my wife, we were thinking I'd just gotten married, and I said, look man, I think, I think this is it. Like, I, I think that the Lord is calling us to transition out. When I went and I said that to him, he looked at me, so he's a, he's, he counsels staff at that church. He's, he's on retainer, I don't know. They pay him to counsel us. I don't know. I go for I went for free. He looked at me and he said, Shaq, are you about to become another casualty of this church? And I looked at him and I said to him, I understand why you're saying that, but I do not believe that that's where I'm at. This church gave me my first shot. This church let me preach probably a far more than I needed to preach, but they let me preach a lot. They sharp. They helped me sharpen my skills. This church trusted me with what was the most emotional thing at the church. Everybody loved the student ministry. I mean, I know most churches, it's like the kids ministry. By the way, if you're new in student ministry, uh, buckle up, the kids ministry runs the show. Uh, <laughs> but they gave me my first shot and they taught me, they trained me. Um, they let me spend a lot of money uh, on things that hopefully would work. Some of those things worked. Some of those things didn't work. They let me spend a lot of money on getting training, traveling to go and sit at a table with some. I mean, literally traveling to Texas to go have lunch with a guy for 30 minutes because he could help me. Um, and so will I see myself as a casualty of this church? Absolutely not. Am I hurt? 
Absolutely yes. But I believe that the Lord called me here and that the Lord has done, I guess, what he's, what he's desired to do with me at this church. Um, and so if you are at your church and you are seeing student ministry as a stepping stone, I need you to change the way you're looking at it. I need you to change the way that you're looking at it. Dr. Aiken, so I'm a Southeastern student. When my first, my, he was one of my first professors. First day in class, 8.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, Dr. Aiken, he looked at us and he said, when you plan to go to a church, if you're gonna take a job at a church, you need to plan to die at that church, right? Like unpack your bags. That's what you do. You plan to die at that church and that's where I was at my last church and that's why it hurt so much when I had to leave. Uh, and so student ministry is not just a stepping stone. Student ministry is a pivotal ministry. Kids, who, who knows the statistics about students leaving the church? Like if you understand and know the statistics, freshman year, I mean middle school, I mean, they're, they're all drug babies, right? Like mom and dad mostly are dragging them to church. You got some parents that don't do that anymore, uh, a lot more than it used to be. Uh, freshman year, we're good. Sophomore year, there's like a small trickle. Junior year, it's massive. Senior year, it's even bigger. Freshman year in college, the numbers get astronomically higher. That's why having a system of discipleship, this is my philosophy, right? So student ministry is not a stepping stone. Having a system of discipleship in your church that does not depend on your presence is absolutely key. If you can understand that, then you can be at a church for one year, for four and a half years, for, for 38 years, you can be at a church for that long and you can have a healthy and sustainable ministry that when the Lord does call you away, like you can go away in peace, like your hands are clean. You've done what the Lord has called you to do. But if the structure, if the system is highly contingent upon you, then the moment you leave, the entire structure crumbles. And so you have to have a system that is not just contingent on you. All right, so I'm gonna run through these notes. Um, um, and if you want me to, uh, to send you my document, it's, I mean, it, it's really, it's really simple. Um, I can send you this document. Everything that I just said is not on here, but, uh, if you want me to send you this, I can send you this. My email is shack at shackhardy.com shack at shackhardy.com. Um, I already have this locked and loaded in a PDF and ready to send out. Uh, and I will try and send it if I can. I have like a small break between breakouts I will try and send it like now so that you have it otherwise if I leave here and you ain't got it I'm so sorry uh, all right so the first thing that you got to do in student ministry is you have to remember your role you have to remember your role when you're thinking about creating a system and a structure you have to remember your role it's not just that you are not Jesus to your students that's not the only thing. Of course you're not Jesus. We all know that we're not Jesus. And if you're trying to be Jesus, you should stop because that's never going to work. But remember that you are not the primary discipler of your students. You might have some outliers. You might have some students that do not have great home lives, whose parents are completely absent, and they look to you as their primary discipler. But even those kids, they are a gift to their parents from God. Their parents might not be stewarding that gift well, but ultimately those kids, you're not their primary discipler. And that's really good for you to understand because if you can understand that and you can remember that, then your home where you are the primary discipler will not suffer, will not be to the detriment of your student ministry. If your home suffers, I mean, one of the requirements of being a pastor in a church, and I know that we're not all pastors, but one of the requirements of being a pastor in a church is that you are taking care of your home. You have to take care of your home. Uh, husbands, right, like die for your wife. Like wives, submit to your husbands. Ultimately, husbands and wives submit to each other. Our first ministry is in our home, period. It's in your home, period. I have a family, I have four or five families. And look, I'm at, a, I'm at Biltmore Church in Asheville. It is a very large church. Um, I don't know, on a Sunday, I could have like 90 kids or I could have like 200 or 300 kids. I have no idea what each Sunday is gonna be like. We're trying to track attendance and we're trying to track those numbers. Uh, but I have like four or five families right now that are so upset that I do not do events every Saturday. This was, uh, they didn't tell me this, 
um, I'm meeting with these parents soon to talk about this, but uh, essentially when they told one of the other pastors this, uh, that they were upset about this, he looked at him and he said, when is he gonna spend time with their wife, when is, with his wife? And they said, we don't care, this is his job, right? Like that's student ministry. Now these parents, these are parents that I love and they're emotional in the moment, like this, this wasn't a shining moment for them. I don't look at them and think to myself like, oh, those are really horrible people. I think that they really care about their kids and they really want me to have fun with their kids. But here's the deal. I will not, I will not have fun with someone else's kids to the detriment of my wife. I will not. My wife will not grow up or, or, or grow to resent the church. My kids will not grow up to resent the church. My dog will not grow up to resent the church. I am going to take care of my family. Deuteronomy 5:29. it says, if only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commands always so that they had, so that they and their children would prosper forever. That's Deuteronomy 5:29. Look, in the Old Testament, this was the truth. In the New Testament, this is still the truth. It's Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You are not your student's primary discipler. You are not their primary discipler. You are not their primary discipler. Their parents are. Student ministry exists to serve parents by coming alongside them to help them disciple their students. So as you are thinking and processing how to create or even just how to better uh, sure up the structure and the foundation of the student ministry that you're leading uh, or are a part of, that's one of the first things that you need to remember. Look, you ain't Jesus. I feel like that's obvious. We don't really need to say that, but you are also, you are not their primary discipler. Their parents are. All right, so where do we start? Where do we start? Like if we are at the bottom, we're trying to figure out where to start. The first thing that we have to do is we have to define the destination. Define the destination. Um, when I'm talking about the destination, like what is our mission statement? So where, where are we headed? Our mission statement tells us exactly where we're headed. There are two things that I believe, this is Shaq's philosophy, this is not Bible, but there are two things that I believe a mission statement has to have. Number one, the great commandment. And number two, the Great Commission. I believe that mission statements have to include those two things. Um, so the Great, uh, the great Commandment, uh, and he said to them, this is from Matthew, verse, uh, Matthew chapter 22. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. There's got to be an element of mission and where you're headed. If there is no mission where you're headed, I'm going to say this, it might be unpopular, but the spirit will not be there. The spirit is on mission. Yeah, the spirit's in you. Of course, the spirit's in you. But the spirit is in you to advance the kingdom of God, not to advance the kingdom of Shaq. Right. And so mission has to be included in your mission statement. Mission statement. Wow. Great commission. Great. Uh, that was uh, that's. Yeah, the great commandment, great commission. Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you have mission. Uh, and then obviously the greatest commandment is love. Right. So love. This is what love is. Love agape. It's the same Greek word that Jesus uh, uses in John 3, 16. It's the same exact Greek word. It's the word agape. Agape is a love that is not contingent on how we feel. It's not. I promise you, Jesus wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go to the cross. Like that wasn't Jesus. He was in the garden and he was like, Father, please remove this cup from me. Like he wasn't feeling it, but Jesus took action anyway. Uh, agape, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to love one another and to love him with is a love that is not contingent on feeling. You need that in your mission statement and you need mission. Uh, uh, an important principle to always remember with your mission statement. If your church has a mission statement, which I've never seen a church that does not, your mission statement should align with your church's mission statement. It should align with your church's mission statement. So uh, my last church, our mission statement was we exist to see people who are far from God become committed, relation, uh, become committed followers of Jesus Christ. So I made the student ministry's mission statement. We exist to see students who are far from God become committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, your mission statement does not have to be a mirror of your church's mission statement, but your mission statement should at the very least define your role in your church's mission. 
if your mission statement does not at the very least define your role in the church's mission, then what you might be doing might look more like a, uh, a parachurch organization that is functioning with and supported by your church. And so your mission statement, it can either be a mirror. I'm going to be honest. I like the mirror because the work is already done. <laughs> like it's already done. And if you come to your pastor and you're like, hey, I just got this new mission statement for the student ministry and I want you to approve it. And I need you to know, like I worked really hard on this and you show them. A mission statement that is a mirror of his. Oh, my goodness. I ain't trying to teach you how to play politics, but that's how you play the game right there. Um, so it doesn't have to be the exact same, but it should at least define your role in the church's mission. Um, all right. So then another question that you want to ask is what is your church doing that you can already join? Um, look, don't create more work for yourself as a student pastor. I mean, I, how many of you guys, let's just say in the past Let's, okay, it's, it's a new year. So since the year started, how many of you guys have been to at least one student's home? Like you've gotten a call from a parent, you've had an emergency. Um, how many of you guys have been to at least two? Three, four, <laughs> right? Like it's a thing. And we have some seasons, some seasons are far worse than others. Uh, and we have some seasons where it's like, man, I feel, really feel like this student ministry doesn't need me at all. Right. That, that's a really good season to be. And you get to go hiking or I don't know, have date. Now, I don't know what you, what you do, but whatever it is you do, you get to go have some fun uh, when when things are kind of going well. I'm going to be honest, though. Anytime things are going well and things are quiet, I'm like, all right, Lord, where's the storm? It's a terrible way to look at it, but I'm a very pessimistic view on life and it's terrible. So what is your church doing that you can already join in on? Small groups. At our church, at Biltmore Church, we call them connect groups. So we have connect groups on Wednesday nights, uh, and we do community groups on Sunday mornings. Uh, so small groups. Discipleship groups. Does your church have some kind of discipleship group structure? And listen to me, if you decide to start discipleship groups, and I have a document that I can send you guys. I actually meant to bring it printed out, and I completely forgot. Me and my wife, we were moving this past weekend, and oh my gosh, I hate moving. Uh, we, she's actually home right now. This conference is amazing because she's at home right now organizing stuff and I'm here. <laughs> it's great. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, discipleship groups, if you're going to have discipleship groups and I'll, I'll send you guys both of these documents. I've, I've already seen some of you email me, but, uh, if you're going to start discipleship groups, you have to define what a discipleship group is. If you don't, there will be confusion. And that and in that confusion, you're going to be frustrated because your frustration is going to be that's not discipleship. Define what a discipleship group is to your people if you're going to start discipleship groups. And if you have them and they're not defined, you should define them. Um, is there a men's ministry that your church has? Our church has something called David's Men. Um, so is there a, ministry, a men's ministry that your church has that it's possible for for you to maybe get one of the men that's leading that to help you create something for your guy students? Is there a women's ministry that your your girls can either participate in or the, the whoever's leading that ministry can help you create something that is like that? Don't don't I mean, you don't you can if you're a guy that just likes to create stuff, if you're a lady that likes to just create stuff like you can do that if you want to. But like I'm the kind of person. I just I don't like to work more than I have to. I really don't like to work more than I have to. Um, so what is your church doing that you can already join in on? Um, here's another thing. You have to assess where your students are. Assess where your students are. So the church that I left um, after four and a half years. So we moved from I mean, I was just like kind of preaching whatever I was studying. And, uh, you know, at one point in time, that was Romans. That was also in my first year there as a 24 year old and nobody told me that was dumb uh, and it was not super great. And what we did because of where our students were, our students were not at a place to just sit and listen to a bunch of theology. And so what we did is we changed the name of our Wednesday night services to Journey. Uh, this was a part of a whole kind of like rebrand thing. We changed our student logo and we met our students where they were. And what we did was instead of coming out of letters, we started teaching stories. And when we started teaching stories, all of those big truths that you find in those New Testament letters, you find them in those stories, but they're illustrated. After about two and a half, three years, 
we went from only teaching stories to going through Colossians. Like we went through the book of Colossians and I talk about I talked about the Gnostics and how they came in and, and the things that they were doing. And then right after we went through the book of Colossians, I jumped back into a few stories and then I jumped into the book of Philippians. And that was that was actually the last sermon series that I did as a student pastor at my last church. So we jumped into the book of Philippians and it was very, very well received. Like it was super well received. I was even able to preach for like 45 minutes without getting a single complaint. I don't suggest that. Uh, I don't suggest that, but I was able to do that. Um, and so, you know, assess where your students are and meet them there. Meet your students there. If your students, look, one of the things that we do in student ministry, and if you do this, I'm not like coming down on you. I do this too. One of the things that we do is we teach our leaders, hey, look, you guys need to have conversations. These groups are not supposed to be just you teaching. These are supposed to be conversations. If you tell your leaders that groups are supposed to be conversations and the students aren't talking in their groups, you know what that probably means? It could mean that you have a very shy group, but it could also mean that your students are not at a point where they can have a conversation about the gospel and you need to teach them. And so if you need to teach your students, don't be afraid to teach your students. I had, I had all, <laughs> dear Lord help me, I had all of the high school guys this past Wednesday night and I even prayed, don't ever pray this, I prayed, Lord, please let one of my leaders be out so that I can lead a group. And the Lord said, here's all of them. Um, it, was, uh, it was a very large group and it, they were very talkative. Uh, but one of the kids piped up and he raised his hand and he asked the question. He said, Shaq, this was a part of the lesson. He said, Shaq, how in the world is it that we can be sinners and know that Jesus still forgives us? Now, of course, I'm in a room full of guys. The issue of pornography comes up as we're talking about sin and as we're whatever. And I, and I told him, I said, look, guys, all you guys can see right now, the only sin that you can see if you are if you are just like in a headlong battle or fight with pornography, that is the only thing that you can see because it is it is such a saturating sin. I mean, the Bible says it is done against the body, but that is not the only sin. And I, I proceeded to tell them the story of Barabbas. I use the story of Barabbas to show them how they can be forgiven. Look. Jesus, like in Barabbas's final hour, Jesus shows up and Jesus takes his place. And when Jesus took his place, Barabbas was set free. Look, no matter what happens at that point, like even the United States Constitution has this. When it comes to us being forgiven of sin, once we have received what Jesus has done in our place, like double jeopardy that god is a just god he's not going to charge us for what we've done even the united states look the reason why we have the laws that we have if you are if you're tried for a crime and you are seen as not guilty even if there is evidence that comes out that shows that you are guilty later on you still can't be charged for that crime it's the same thing with your sin like something that i think most of us would think is a very elementary principle of the gospel i've been at this church for seven months my students don't know and they don't understand. And so because of that, I come down to their level. And even though we're going through Galatians right now, uh, I come down to their level. I find a story in scripture and I teach them these big concepts like propitiation. I teach them these big concepts by showing them a story from the Bible. So assess where they are, meet them where they are. Um, the next thing, I've already said this, but create a structure that doesn't depend on your presence. So if you want the student ministry to have longevity, uh, longevity and consistency, um, then you have to create a structure that does not revolve around you. So the questions that you need to be asking are questions like, what can I pass off um, to my leaders? What can I pass off to my parents? Um, what can I pass off to my students? Look, every single thing that you pass off and you got to be careful with how much investment you're asking people to give i'll tell you right now when i got married uh we were i was doing a lot of investing on robin hood and um so my wife um bless her heart she was baroque before we got married i like she was so broke that i put her on my account before uh before we were even engaged i'm just like i hate that you are always stressing about money even though i was already paying some of her bills i hate that you're always stressing about money i'm gonna put you on my account but she saw was Shaq is investing a lot of money on Robinhood. Like she just saw that and she's just like, what happens if we lose all that money? Well, this is just what I do. And she's like, well, not anymore. <laughs> and so I had to pull all that money away. I was investing too much. And because I was investing too much, like it was more than my wife can handle. So I had to pull back. 
Now we're kind of going back in there, but I've kind of had to lead her to that place. It's the same thing with your students and your parents and your leaders. If you ask them to invest too much on the front end, you might lose them completely. And so again, with assessing where your students are, assess where your student ministry is and create a structure that doesn't revolve around you and start to pass things off. If there is something that you are doing that somebody else can do, give it to them. Here's a great example, baptisms. Baptisms is a very easy thing. It's a very, very easy thing. Y'all, I can't, I have not baptized a student during a church service probably in two years. I vehemently fight against baptizing students. Instead, what I do is I push students to their parents first, and then I push them to leaders, the people that are spending the most time with them. That's where I push them. A baptism is really, look, if you're a student leader at your church, you get to do all the cool stuff anyway. If you let them do a baptism, that is a very, very low risk thing, unless they, you know, hold them down there, you know, teach them what to do, show them how to do it. Like, don't just give it to them, but like teach them how to do it. But it's a very low risk thing that has a very, very high return for you. The more you are able to get your parents, your leaders, and your students to invest into the ministry, the more they're going to be, um, what's the word, the more they're going to be bought in. Um, so you're going to get a higher commitment out of them. So what can you ask your leaders to do? What can you ask your parents to do? What can you ask your students to do? Um, what can you ask them to do? And then the last thing that I'll mention, I am on time. Look at that. I got three minutes. The last thing that I'll mention is preaching and teaching. So by the way, I know that there are a lot of holes in this. We've not really talked about leaders a whole lot. Uh, look, if you if you are not recruiting leaders constantly in your ministry, um, look, even if you already have more leaders than you need, then you got to create a pipeline. If you're at a point where you have enough leaders, then create a pipeline like, man, this leader is going to be here for welcome team. These people I need. Let me get some people here to help pass out snacks whenever students show up. Let me get some people here to help set up and to help tear down. The more people you can get involved, when you have people roll off, you can just be like, hey, you've been really faithful. I really appreciate your work. Would you mind? I see the Lord working in you. Would you mind stepping in um, to a, a small group leader role or, or whatever other role you might have? Um, so when it comes to preaching and teaching, these are just the three things, the three things that I would say every last one of your sermons needs to point to. Every sermon points to the gospel of Jesus. Listen to me. If all we do in student ministry is beat our students over the head with sin, we do not make the gospel beautiful. If all you do is focus on sin, you will miss your savior. So we felt like we every single sermon points to the gospel of Jesus. Now, look, I got some sermons. Uh, I have a sermon on uh, Genesis chapter three. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I actually have a podcast now, too. In the first season of the podcast, it's like all sin. But the point of it is to get us to Jesus. I have some sermons that talk a lot about sin. And, and when I read them myself, like it's hard for me to read them because I know how much of a sinner I am. It is okay. I'm not saying that it's not okay for you to have like some focus on just like the destructive nature of sin. But when you do that, like you have to also create an equal opportunity and equal space for the gospel to shine through. Otherwise, Christianity is just going to seem like an oppressive religion because sin is it's so destructive and it's so pervasive. And it, I mean, it permeates the things that our students are dealing with right now. Like it just it permeates every part of you. So every single sermon has to point to the gospel of Jesus. Every sermon. Number two, every sermon has to point to the mission of Jesus. Again, if you are not there or if you are not sending your students there, the spirit is not there. The spirit is on mission. So be on mission. And look, we're doing who's your one at our church. Again, I don't like to create new stuff. They weren't doing who's your one before I got there. I pushed who's your one at almost every student staff meeting until they said we're doing it. Until they said we're doing it. Because if we don't do something like who's your one, then I'm gonna have to create something for my kids. And I, in, in which my kids, I'm not really pushing them super hard to mission yet, we're asking them, who's your one? Who's your one? Invite them here. That's, that's the simple level of investment that I think that they're ready for. Who's your one? Invite them here. Like we will help them get to the gospel. Eventually it's going to be a whole lot more than that, but that's, that's the level of investment that I believe I can ask for them right now um, um, in order for them to not, you know, feel awful every time I ask them, who's your one? Because we ask them like, hey, who's your one? How have you been praying for them? How, how are you serving them right now? 
so every sermon points to the mission of Jesus because you want to send your students where the Spirit of God is. All right, um, and then the last one is every sermon points to the call of Jesus. This is one that we miss a lot. Uh, how many of you guys have been a part of uh, Clayton and Shane Pruitt's, uh, what is that thing called? Yeah, Youth Pastor Coaching Network. How many of you guys have been a part of that? It's new. Look, if you haven't been a part of it, uh, I hope it's okay, but I'm going to promote this. I'm going to promote the mess out of this, and I, I'm going to figure out where to send y'all before we leave. Before we leave this room, I'm going to be on here. I'm going to be listening, but I'm going to figure out where to send y'all for that. If you've, not, if you've not been a part of that, it's super helpful, not just for ministry, but also for life. Um, it's very, very helpful. I mean, you can attest, right? It's, it's amazing. There's a few other guys here that have been a part of that, uh, and so um, anyway... Number three is the call of Jesus. Every sermon points to the call of Jesus. So when we're talking about the call of Jesus, we're talking Ephesians 2.10. For we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. We were not created to sit. David Platt, he, I think I love his quote, right? Like the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. We were not recreated in Christ to sit. We were recreated in Christ to work. But the work that we have is good work. And so we point our students to that work. And the amazing thing about the work that we have is we're not the ones that create it. God created it before the, before the ages ever began. And he created us for that work. Our job in that passage, all you see is walk. That we should walk in there. That's all we do. All right, so let's open up. Let's open up the room. It's 11.02, so we got about 28 minutes. Let's open up the room. Questions, comments. Uh, helpful advice, tips, concerns. I would say raise your hands, but like, let's just do this thing. <laughs> oh, y'all shy now. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so I've been in my position for a month now. Uh, at a church who hasn't had a student ministry in about two years. Um, when the pandemic happened, everything kind of went away. The pastor went away. We've had a pastor who's been there for two years. Um, half the student ministry is going to be my kids. <laughs> so we've got four to six kids we're looking at. Um, you talk about assessing where they're at. How do you do that with essentially two families? Yeah. Um, if all you have in your ministry at this point is two families, um, and, I, and I would love for you to speak into this. Um, if all you have in your ministry at this point is two families, uh, what I would say is you spend time with those families. Because what you're doing at this point is, is you are rebuilding. And those families are like the people. Those are going to kind of be the foundation of the ministry. And so you spend, you go have meals with those families. You have those families over. You take them to ball games. You go to their ball games. And as you're doing that, you know, you're just living life. Like, don't go and with a notepad and, and writing things down. Like, sometimes I'll jot things down on my phone, but I try to do it inconspicuously when I hang out with families. But if all you have is two families, basically, uh, then you spend time with those families and you, you just kind of assess as you go along. You, you, you hear from the parents, you hear from the kids, you learn what their needs are, and that's where you start. Because uh, if you just have two families, you're starting from the ground and you're building up. But those families are not, again, just like student ministry is not a stepping stone, those families are not a stepping stone into a larger ministry. Uh, and the pandemic, it, I mean, it hit all of us hard. Oh, it hit all of us hard. And so, uh, man, I mean, there are very few churches that I've seen. I mean, even Long Hollow. Do you know, do you know at Long Hollow Church in Nashville? Uh, well, even Long Hollow, it's a huge church. Robbie Gallaty's there. Even, I mean, they've shut down campuses. I mean, the, nobody's been unaffected by, by the pandemic. And so if that's where you are post-pandemic, then, man, it, it stinks on one hand. But on the other hand, like, praise the Lord that you still have those two families. Build from there. Focus on them. You get to do something that a lot of us don't get to do. And you actually get to do discipleship with those two families. I don't get to do that a lot. Most of my work is done from an office. Uh, and I know that there are some days that feel, that probably feel like, what am I even doing? <laughs> like, why, like, why am I even here? Uh, but you got to remember the same spirit 
that led you to the work that you're doing right now, the same God that called you to do what you do is the same God that called Billy Graham to do what he did. There is no work that is greater. There is no person's work that is greater than another person's work because you're not the one doing it. God is. And so you spend time with those families and you just kind of assess where they are and that's where you start. Like that's your start. I just want to say that, that the pandemic was a reminder for me that we minister among the circumstances that we're in, it doesn't change our mission. Yeah. And when, I, for a while, I was kind of leaning into the woe of the cancel, the cancel culture and mm. all the things we couldn't, and God just really reminded me, has the mission changed? Has mm. this thing made my call different, my vision for what I want students to know about me different? And the answer, of course, was no. He's the same God. Wow. Circumstances around me changed, but not the mission. And so when I could communicate that to the students, we weren't stuck in the things we couldn't do. Um, you know, and, and to use another friend's word, some of my early Zoom things that I did looked like Osama bin Laden recruitment videos. <laughs> I, I hate Zoom with a passion. Zoom is the worst. Gift. I don't have a gift. But, but the truth is, you know, whether you know, some of the best days in student ministry were in my beginnings when the whole youth group could fit in the 15-passenger van and I still mm. had wiggle room because we were mobile. We could be out and about and be the church outside the walls of our building. It was convenient. It gets more tricky when it grows. You have to be more strategic. Yeah. You have to bring more people in. But the mission stays the same. And yeah. so the mission has to be, whether it's one student who shows up, did I do... Did I come tonight to this moment, to this opportunity to yeah. number one love God, number yeah. two love people, and 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 be His and teach them how to be His. And that mm. is my mission. Yeah. And it, it didn't change. And some of the best moments are those toe to toe. It's awkward, you know. It's hard to do a group game with you and someone else. <laughs> uh, but the mission, the yeah. mission doesn't change. And yeah. You go in with the mission. Exactly what you said, spend time, invest. It pays dividends. It does. Because that moment you invest in the one or the two or the five becomes a genuine moment where, you know what, come be a part of this because it's real. It's sincere. Mm. And you, yeah. the sincere genuineness of someone who really loves and cares and will tell you truth without being ashamed of truth will always draw a young person. Mm. They'll come to that truth. Yeah. And, and truth, truth be told, uh, I mean, this is for anybody in the room, if you have a smaller student ministry, uh, you need to know it's okay to focus on growth. Um, I know that in student ministry, like in this culture, there is a, it's almost like a, like a wordy dirt, right? Like, like growth is like, no, we're here to disciple students. No, you are. But like growth is a healthy part of student ministry. And so I think that as you do that, I think you, you, it's okay for you to focus on growth. But as you focus on that growth, I think if, if, if you can, and I'm not saying that you're not doing this, uh, this, I'm not making any assumptions at all, but if you can learn to appreciate where you are right now, um, man, it'll give you something beautiful to look back on. Uh, John Piper's book, Future Grace, right? Like, like God's work in the past, the way I've seen him work in the past gives me the ability to like, it strengthens my faith to believe that he's going to continue to work on into the future. And so, uh, man, yeah, it's okay to focus on growth in this time. So I, I just want to make sure I say that and not just be like, you need to focus on those people and that's your ministry. God will bring everybody up. No, you can go get some kids. Don't, don't steal them, but like you can go get some kids, right? Like, man, kidnapping out here. Yeah, so I did. Uh, when I first got there, I was very gunshot. Now, remember, I've only been there for seven months. Uh, oh, oh, and it's been eight months now. Look at that. Oh. Uh, I've only been there for about eight months. Um, and so when I first got there, I was very gunshot. Um, I'm a very, uh, I wouldn't call myself like pugnacious, like I'm always ready for a fight, but I am very confrontational. So like, like, like Wes, if we have an issue, I'm gonna come and find you and we're gonna resolve our issue and we're gonna be better because of that. Uh, and so I am the kind of person that builds narratives. So, uh, you know, you stepped on my shoe. You don't care about my life. Like you, you, 
hate my boots, you hate my life, you, you know, you hate my wife and you want to kick my dog, right? Like I will, I will build a narrative. So what I have to do, especially because of past hurt, is I have to go have conversations. Dude, I've had some very difficult conversations with people at the church that I'm at right now. And I had to flat out before my conversation say, look, I'm going to say some things and I need you to know that I'm feeling this and I can't shake these feelings. And I am here for you to help me not feel this way. And then say, hey, dude, this is what your job is. And I feel like you're not doing your job. Like to people who are above me, which there's a lot of people above me now. I'm not, I'm not in the position that I used to be in. But to people that are above me and that I respect, I have to come to them and say, hey, this is where I'm at. And uh, I need you to help me not be here. They all understand that I came from a place of hurt. They all know that one of the first things that I did when I came in, look, I'm black and I'm Southern Baptist. And you know what? Maybe I can preach a little bit, but like I am not a talent. If you treat me like a talent, I will not be here. And that's what I told them when I first came. I told the senior pastor that I told the senior staff person that's over my team that I told the central student pastor that if you treat me like a talent, I will not be here. Uh, Use the gifts that the Lord has given me by all means, but you better take care of me in the process. Otherwise, I will leave. And the reason why I will leave is because I've been hurt by people using me in the past. Uh, and so they are all aware of that. And so when I say, hey, I need to come talk to you, they know what's coming. And so if you are at a place where you're able to have those kinds of conversations, that will be one of the most healing things for you. When you sit in a meeting with a guy and you say, hey, look, man, I'm really feeling this right now. And I know that it's probably not real, but I need you to help me see that it's not real. And literally, Zach Trantham, the central student pastor at my church, I've done that with him twice. The second time, he just walked me through, this is what I've done. This is what I did here. You said this, and this is what I did here. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, cool. Hey, thanks, bro. I'm gonna go to lunch. Like, that's it. But, but I, <laughs> the things that I came in his office with, like they were, I came in guns blazing, but he knew ahead of time, like this is where I'm at. And he understood that. And so if you have other pastors, leadership on staff that at least understand where you are and that you have the freedom to do that with, do that. If you don't have people on your leadership, on your staff that you feel comfortable doing that with, you need to have a friend. And do you have my phone number? Um, if you don't, 2012. it's the same phone number. Okay. So look, yeah call me. You can call me and you can vent about anything. And one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to you until the end. If you talk my head off for 30 minutes, I got five minutes. And in that five minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and show you how to get out of where you are. And a lot of it has to do with if you can go have a conversation, go have a conversation, but put yourself in this person's shoes, like try and be in their shoes and try and remember like, like they're a sinner too. Because a lot of times we look at leadership and we like to think that leadership doesn't sin or that leadership is supposed to be perfect or leadership doesn't have feelings. Um, but that's not true of leadership at all. Is that helpful? Anybody have a, you had your hand up a second ago. Does anybody want to? Yes. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like I have to say this when you say that, Mary, I got to say this. Look, I miss I left this out and this creating a system too. really where you start is prayer. Prayer is not. I'm going to say this at the beginning of the next one. Prayer is not just what you do to get to ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer is an admission of dependence on God. Bathe that mug in prayer and let the Lord do his work. I don't know, man. If something were to happen to me and I were to be fired because I came to a leader and I like needed them to help me get out of where I was and I got fired for that, then you know, the Lord didn't call me here. I don't know. My wife might be hurt by that. I might be hurt by that, but you know, I trust that the Lord's gonna continue to be faithful. But don't be scared of getting fired. Like that's that's me building a narrative. I'm already doing it again. <laughs> you had a question? Uh, yes. So um, you talked about handing things off to your other leaders where we're at. Um, student pastor. I've got six leaders serving with me in the student ministry. Uh, on a Wednesday night, we average 20 or so students, um, give or take. With that, I trust my leaders that I have to run small groups. They, they operate in adult leadership uh, efforts as well, small groups and stuff in the adult side of things as well. But how can I and how have you seen the best ways to invest and equip them? Um, because all of them are lay leaders. They're working and volunteering here at the church mm -hmm. as far as leadership roles. 
what's the best way to equip them, train them up without making it a burden for them, feeling like I'm just giving them an, another thing of homework. Hey, come to this conference, go to this place, let's sit down and talk for, you know, give them some more time with your family, let's sit down Thursday night and talk about things. What's the best way? Yeah. What I would say is I would say you got to, and sometimes you got to start slow because if you start too fast, people start to fall off again. Investment, you got to remember the level of investment. But what I would say is I would try to create rhythms of training. So if you don't already have like rhythms and patterns of training, so every other month we have, I'm switching to a dinner. Um, I hate trying to get leaders to church early on Sunday morning. It is. I'm like, I am not here for my health. That's not why I'm here. This is, this is probably not healthy for me to be here right now. But like, just, they don't they don't show up my leaders don't show up to our meetings early in the mornings and I still have my meetings with the you know, probably half of my leaders that will show up uh, but create rhythms and patterns of, of training because if you if you create those and if you like if you can have a calendar and say hey these are the dates that we're gonna have some kind of training whether it's once a month every other month every quarter whatever that looks like uh, you know get it on people's calendars you put it on their calendar and you set the reminders two weeks before, a week before, so that they remember. Um, but you be the person that trains. So instead of trying to send them off, like you be the person that trains them. Have them come to the church early or do lunch or do a dinner on a Sunday night. Like try and figure out whatever times, uh, whatever times they are the most free. So like based on your culture and your context, when people are most likely to be free and you know what, some people don't want to give up a Sunday night with their family, but if you don't ask them to give up every Sunday night with their family, like if it's a small level of investment, a lot of times people will be willing to do that and feed them. If you can feed them, give them food. Um, if you don't have any money for food, contact your uh, local state convention or your state convention rep and they might be able to give you some food. I don't know, I'm going to stop. Uh, but uh, if you can feed them and, and don't just do a training, also have fun. And when you do this, if you are going to have your leaders come somewhere, most of the time they are all going to show up the first time if they can. They have to believe when they walk out of the room that what they just did was worth it. Otherwise, they will not come to the next one. And so do your work, do your homework, uh, be very clear in your speech, be very clear in the purpose of whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, but if you can do that, create some kind of rhythm, some kind of pattern of training. Um, cause if you don't have that, a lot of times we just don't do it at all. Uh, and so just create a pattern and if they're not showing up, man, keep doing it. Uh, get, you're not doing it for your health. You're doing it because you know, it's good for the student ministry. And honestly, I've had to sit down with some leaders and have some very difficult conversations like, Hey, look, I'm doing this. You have not shown up to anything. Um, I, I need you to try. The first thing that I do when I have a conversation with a leader, like a hard conversation, I don't sit and stew on stuff and get to the point where I'm like, I'm gonna kick them out of the student ministry. The first thing I do is I try and have a plan. I come into the meeting with a plan to help them uh, and, and then I try and help them and then if they don't wanna be helped, then usually they fall off by themselves. I've actually never had to ask, I've had to ask one volunteer to step down and it's because he did something really stupid. I mean, it was really stupid, it was so stupid. You know, some people you just want to punch when you see him. He's that person now. So I think I saw your hand next. So, okay, so we're like the two family. We have like six, six kids. Okay. But our church is out of the baby-making age. They are seniors, seniors. So how do we still make them disciples but get more, get more kids? Yeah, how old are your students? Yeah. Yeah. So we will sing this until the cows come home, right? The best person to uh, share the gospel with students is another student, and so I'm just. I'm, look, I do not like, I do not work for the North American Mission Board, but I will tell you who's your one. If you type in on your phone, who's your one North American Mission Board, you will be flooded with resources. Who's your one? It's a very small ask. Um, I participate in it. My one is a guy named Adam. He's new. I did not like before. It was this couple that was across the way for me and my wife. And now we just moved. They were really, they were always out of town. We really didn't get a whole lot of chances to talk to them. 
Uh, now we moved. They're like, hey, let's have a game night. I'm like, what the heck? Uh, but the guy next door to me now, his name's Adam. He and his wife were separated, and now they're back together. He's paying two rents right now because he got another. It's a whole story, but like, I got to meet him the first day that we moved into our new apartment, and now he's my one. You participate in Who's Your One. You have a one. If you have a one, you will have stories. And the Who's Your One website will explain everything to you. You will have stories, and then as you call your students to Who's Your One, right? you disciple them and you send them out on mission. Every single time you send them out, we say you are loved and sent every time we send our students out. So you call your students to mission. That is, that is the, to be honest with you, I think that that is the most effective uh, uh, strategy for church growth because what you're doing when you do that, now we do some gimmicky things that I'm like, this is so gimmicky. Like we did AirPods Pro one time where we, you know, if you invite a friend, you might get it, you and your friend can win this. Uh, but we don't do that a lot. When you have them invite their friends and they're just inviting their friends, what they come for is typically what they stay for. That's typically what they stay for. So whenever you have their friends come, they're gonna, you need to like have some fun, like do some inter interactive things with, with their friends, games or whatever that looks like. Uh, but then also, man, the gospel has got to be the most beautiful thing that they hear the entire night. It's gotta be the most beautiful thing. Uh, because you don't just want them coming for community because you might be able to grow real fast if you do that The problem with that is you're gonna end up with a discipleship problem on the back end. That's where I'm at at my church They grew real fast and it was just kind of like we're trying we weren't ready for this and we're and so now I'm dealing with a huge discipleship problem at my church, but we're working through it uh, and so Yeah, who's your one? We actually go to the same church uh, oh, about with the high school boys there. Um, and we have, you know, we're blessed with several folks at the church, you know, and I just wonder about recruitment opportunities or ideas to bring in more leaders mm -hmm. because in, in a lot of areas of our church, the same people are serving in multiple areas. So they're doing yep. and IT and connecting yep. and small groups. Same so, people that are giving too, huh? Yes. Yeah, so we know that story. You've got the same ones everywhere. So, yeah. You know, recruitment ideas and maybe building a rotation with leaders. Yeah. That. So I'm one of the worst leader recruiters ever, which is a terrible place to be in student ministry. Uh, thankfully, uh, the person that came before me, they were very good at leader recruitment. Um, a couple of things that I've done. Um, so look at your church and see what you have. So what is the population of your church? At my last church, what I did was I'm like, man, we have hundreds of college students on campus every single week. So I went to the college ministry. Every single time I preached at the college ministry, I got up on stage and I said, hey, we need some help with leaders. We need leaders. We need leaders. We need leaders. If you're willing, if you have a heartbeat, like come and talk to me. Uh, because there was one point, especially post-pandemic, where we just, we were dry. We were struggling. Um, and uh, at one point, I think we had 30 college students that were with us just like just called not my other leaders just college students that were with us that were helping us lead and so look at your church and see what you have and figure out the best strategy for recruiting them for some you could literally just do a meal after church if you do a meal after church and you say hey for anybody if you can get whoever's doing announcements or if you can get up and do announcements at your church hey we're having a lunch you know in two weeks or next week or today right you got to give them some time right we're having a lunch uh and you know it's going to be free if you would like to participate in the student ministry if you would like to come and and serve or learn about opportunities to serve in student ministry uh have them register it's helpful to have a registration but then also expect people to not show up or to show up and to not show up that didn't register or did register um, but whatever whatever you have in your church figure out the best way to get them in a room most churches most Baptist churches especially it's food if you can get a fried chicken let me tell you something Publix oh my gosh and their mac I just discovered their mac and cheese last night <laughs> slaps and it's cheap and it's very cheap uh, is that helpful? Does anybody else have any ideas on leader recruiting? They're your greatest recruiters. Ask your students, you know, hey, who in the church have you always wanted to meet or know more about? Let them be there. And then let the students mm. say, hey, we're doing this lunch. And come on. Hey, <laughs> I'm writing that one down. That's good. That is actually really good. Uh, yeah, talk about guilt trip. Yeah, show up the next week and that kid sees you and you didn't show up to that meeting. <laughs> yeah, have your students present at that meeting too. That'll be, 
That's really good. Uh, any other ideas? Man, like, have your students be on mission. If you have juniors and seniors, those juniors and seniors need to be discipling seventh graders. And so use those leaders. You know, if you have a techie kid, let them update your pro presenter or whatever you're doing, your, your PowerPoint. So, like, use your juniors and seniors. Be, teach them how to be disciples that are making disciples, too. Mm -hmm. That's good. Saying enlistment works a lot better than recruitment. You have to be careful because one bad leader is worse than yeah, leaders. yeah. So we have a process, uh, and honestly, anybody that makes, I think, because our process is so, I don't like how strong it is, but it's also really good and it's proven to work. Because our process, it's a month-long process to become a leader. It's really six weeks, uh, so. When we find out somebody's interested, before we even have a conversation with them, they have to fill out an application. After they fill out an application, they have to get a background check. Look, if you can't pass a background check, like, you, I'm sorry, you can't, you, I'm not sorry, you can't be a leader. For, for whatever it is, I understand, like, the Lord redeems, but, like, if you cannot pass a background check for the safety of our students, the insurance policy at the church, you cannot be a leader. So background check, after the background check, we have food. After we have food, I show you the student ministry. After I show you the student ministry, I pair you with the leader and you're with that leader for a month. Um, and during that month, you have to be there every single week. You gotta be there every week. During that month, you are just observing. You don't talk like in a room. You I know it's like awkward, but you just sit there and you observe. And then at the end of that month, we have another meal and we talk. What are you thinking? How do you feel? And, and you can usually even with that, with that kind of a process, you can watch them. Uh, and you can tell just like how they're interacting, you know, a, a kid said this and they twist their face up, but like, do they not understand that like teenagers are like, they're dealing with some really rough stuff right now. Like, can they handle high school? Can they handle middle school just in that, in that process? And so we have a process that is very, 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 very structured and it's very long. Six weeks might not be that long. It feels long, but we have leaders that have been there for eight years. So, yeah. We got four minutes. I just got a question because I know they were talking about volunteers. Church I came from, another small church. Uh, we actually recruited <clears throat> outgoing students, so they were on the way out. When we had the natural break in summer, we brought them back in. We did some training with them and we talked with them. Let them come back in just to be that that older person there. For, Call yeah. Student yeah. What's your thoughts on that? And, and then he, because I mentioned that to Pastor that I work for now, and he's like, eh. yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Thoughts yeah. My immediate thought is like, they need a year. Uh, give them a year. And in that year, this might sound awful, but I'm not the person that's discipling you this year. Uh, you need to go outside of the student ministry. So, one of the problems we have in church is students one of the reasons why students leave is because when they leave their church because they don't participate in the church when they leave their church they fall away because they go look at other churches and they're looking for their student ministry you're not going to find that um your kids need to be in if, if your kids are not in service on a sunday morning you need to fight like a dog to get them in service on sunday morning um look even if they don't like it if they if your kids don't like church on sunday morning they might not know jesus they don't know jesus like get them to jesus send them to church let them see what church is supposed to be not just what your youth group is uh because that that is one of the main reasons we are losing our kids and so i would say a year after that year if they're still interested then you have some kind of training um when i so i have an intern right now one of my interns and he's a paid intern but he has been out of school for two years and his wife has been out of school for a year. They are very young. It is one of the most uh, sanctifying things I've ever done is have interns and having young interns is even harder. Uh, but I remember I was there. He asked me a lot of questions all the time. We sit down and we, re we evaluate and we reevaluate like his role and his responsibility all the time. It's the same thing. If you have students that are coming back, young leaders, one of the things that you want to make sure that you do is you want to make sure that you communicate clearly. You are not coming in here as a student. And if you act like a student, I'm going to kick you out like an adult uh, because you are not coming in here as a student. You are coming in here as an adult. Oh, they won't listen to you. If they're not going to listen to you, come and talk to me. Nobody disrespects one of my leaders. 
and my leaders do not disrespect my students, right? So like, we're not, we're not about disrespect around here. If they're not listening to you, I will make sure that they know that you are here under the authority of this student ministry and that you are a leader. But if they don't act like a leader, students will not treat them like a leader. That doesn't mean you can't put them in the fake hot dog bun and put ketchup and mustard and all the other toppings on them because they're young. Yeah, haze them a little bit. Like, godly hazing. Let's be clear about that. State of North Carolina, hazing has not been... Oh, Lord. When I was in high school. Okay. Um, I think we're done. We're out. Of, yep. It's 1130. Exactly. Shaq at ShaqHardy.com. Shoot me an email. I will get you uh, this document and I'll get you the document that has our D group and baptism uh, uh, structure on it. Hey, thank you guys for coming.